This talk was recorded at the 2019 Actuarial Society of South Africa Convention at the Sandton Convention Centre. For more information on the Actuarial Society, visit actuarialsociety.org.za. Welcome to the worst day of your life. <laughs> like I have it. you all in here. <laughs> Nobody can get out. Good afternoon, ladies and gents. Uh, my name is Dominic Khalbebi from an organization called Cohesion Collective, but let me introduce myself actually more fully. Full names are Khuitsiyone Mudimu Dominic Khalbebi. Don't feel bad, white people. When I say Khuitsiyone Mudimu in Durban, they're like, eh? Khuitsiyone? Eh, no, Khuitsiyone, like, no, it's fine. Go the other one. That's okay. So, Cohesion Collective, we're a specialist uh, organization in equality, diversity, and inclusion. So essentially we'll be engaging with you literally over the next hour just really around this concept of why is talent really the key that can enable organizations to win in what it is that we call the one talent. So in this time that we'll have with each other, I think things are going to go fairly quickly. This is a topic really that can't, we can't do justice to it over an hour period. All right? But in this one hour we'll do our best. We've been known to be medical workers so we'll try to work a miracle. So then say, by the time we're done with each other in this one hour, could we at least provide some value for you? Can we provide a different lens? Can we provide a different way of thinking? Can we inspire you to take this very con this conversation that sometimes can be quite scary, but that we can get you to a point to actually just lean in, be a little bit more brave, and also realize that as much as this is a very serious topic, it doesn't hurt doing it with a little bit of a sense of humor. Yeah. Speaking about sense of humor, I'm going to do something with you. So since you're actuaries, you guys tend to be, you know, the serious types, no? So if you'd allow me just to have a little fun with you, when I say, okay, okay, you'll say, all right, all right. When I say, all right, all right, you'll say, okay, okay. Okay, okay? All right, all right. You are much more lively than the bunch that we had yesterday. They sounded like they were quarter to going to the grave. <laughs> so, Five <two. laughs> no. So uh, really honored to have you and really honored that you're spending this time with us. Hi guys, you good? Great, fantastic. My name is Roy, the other half of this organization, so we'll keep spinning wheel here. We are on session five of six. Um, each one has been completely different, right? These conversations around equality, diversity, and inclusion that we're going to be engaging on today um, take its own form depending on what it is you guys bring within the space. We can do all of our slides or none of our slides. We're not necessarily um, attached to it too fully. But we also understand that we have an hour and there are some things that we do on a position. So what we're going to do is to try, if we can, hold some of our questions toward the end. But we're not here to talk at you. We're really here to have a conversation. So at any point, please feel free to ask a question, jump in, ask for clarification. This session is not designed to make you feel nothing. Let me rephrase that. This session is designed to make you feel something, right? I think that when we're thinking about inclusion, diversity, and equality, when we're talking about transformation, it is emotional. And I think we need to own the emotions that is this conversation. That there is no way that we can have this conversation without some emotions being stirred. Dom and I have a very low benchmark for success. Somebody either has to hate us or love us, right? No, no one walks out of our session saying, meh, okay. No one, right? <laughs> That's the devastating part. We want somebody to like, kick down the door and go and complain to us, uh, never have them here. Like, then we know we've done our job, right? Um, not because we, and this is important that I say this, not because we are here to antagonize you or to be confrontational 
or to shit-stir for the sake of shit-stirring. But what we are here to do is to create an opportunity for us just to pause, to reflect, and to ask a different question, a difficult yeah. question, right? That maybe some people don't want to ask. Yeah. So we're coming into the space not as antagonists, not as revolutionaries. We're really coming in as brothers, as uncles, as people who care about the space and who care about this country and your organizations, right? So we're going to start quite high level. What is the general lay and the, the lay of the land contextually when it comes to equality, diversity, and inclusion? And then we're going to zoom beautifully into organization and how we understand it within organization. Yeah. Like I said, we only have an hour, so there is a lot that we're not going to cover, but we're going to focus specifically today on inclusion, Absolutely. glossing over diversity briefly and not really touching on equality, but inclusion is how we are going to be focusing on it. Why do we want to focus on inclusion? Because we don't have an issue with diversity in South Africa. We don't, right? And very often we go into our organizations, into client organizations, and uh, we say, you're good, right? Because they're like, oh, look, we've got black faces, brown faces, gay faces, fantastic. And they walk out and they're so happy. And then we get an engagement survey and everyone has a panic attack. Or they go into the canteen and they see black table, white table, and they start having a panic attack, right? Because diversity is not our issue. It's the inclusion aspect that we need to understand. Yeah. But it's because the inclusion is so multifaceted that it becomes so scary. And unfortunately, this conversation that we have today gets relegated to this. The last 10 minutes of the board meeting, how are numbers looking? Good? Are we on track with our targets? Great. Oh, we're not on track? Okay, let's talk about that in the next board meeting. That's it. That's all we talk about are the numbers. There is this huge gap between our numbers and our targets and the experience of people on the ground, the employee experience. There's a huge gap between our numbers and the legal imperative and really attitude, buy-in, excitement, leaning into this conversation as well. We sit within that to try to fill that gap. Absolutely. Okay. Which is then what makes us both exciting and scary, right? Because we're not here to engage you conceptually. We're not here to engage you intellectually. You're smart. You get it. So let's get that out of the way. Mm. You're smart. Mm. <laughs> Forget right. it. So beyond being smart, how can we actually get in touch with the things that quite often we're very uncomfortable to discuss? So with each of you that are sitting in this room, I'm pretty certain that you each signed an, uh, an employment contract, yes? For the organization that you're working for. When we all signed this employment contract, there was a line that we all signed. That line is not there explicitly, but we all know that we signed this line. And when we all signed this line in our employment contract, it went like this. I hereby consent that when I come into this organization, I'm going to leave all of my gak at home. Mm -hmm. All signed it. Okay? Mm. That when I come into this organization, I'm going to come in as a sanitized human being who does not have issues, who does not have a history. I'm going to show up and be professional. Okay? <laughs> mm -hmm. All of that gak, leave it in the car, leave it in the bus, whatever. When I come in, I'm just going to be the sanitized human being. This is the moment, this is the opportunity where actually these things that very much often we ask of you to leave behind are the things that we need to bring within the space. Because mm -hmm. if we think that we're going to be speaking inclusion and we do not invite all of your being to be part of this inclusive process, we're not going to get there. Mm -hmm. Often as organizations, we claim that we want to be inclusive. All right? So we'll come to our, uh, we'll go to campuses. Is there anyone who's like spying from HR who's sitting here in the audience? Recruitment. Just, just from a show of hands. Okay, mm -hmm. has anyone ever been involved in recruitment and, and going to like campuses, show of hands? Yeah, yeah wonderful. Greatest bunch of liars. <laughs> <laughs> Not, uh, wait on it. <laughs> I'll qualify it. 
So as organizations will go into campuses, will go out there in the market, will then engage with people and say, you know what, we want you to come into our organization. Our organization is awesome. When you come in, we want you to bring all of your diversity. We want you to challenge us. We want you to help us think differently. Innovate. We want you to take us to innovate and go to the fourth industrial revolution. And people are like, yes. And then you come in like, yeah, we said we wanted all of you. But yeah, there's a way in which we do things here. Yes, we said we wanted all of you, but maybe like 30% of your blackness. Yeah, wonderful. Just keep to 30, that thing, being loud, eating with hands. Ah, ah not here. <laughs> not here. All right. Women, welcome. Okay, we want you within the space. But in Komong, like 20% of the femininity, you know, the other stuff, I, I'm not quite, you know, comfortable discussing these feeling stuff within the space. Yeah, so mm -hmm. let's, let's tone that down. Mm -hmm. But this is what we do to each other. And then we will claim that we're inclusive as an organization. And then when we're getting a particular kind of group think that comes through our organization, all of us are confused. Why do we have this diversity of people that are sitting around the table and yet these ideas that are coming out, ideas that have been rehashed before? It's because people have signed up and they know that yes, even though you've said you wanted all of me, but actually you don't. Mm. And so these are part of the things that we'll be engaging with in this short space of time that we have with each other. And let's just kind of bring a bit of realness into this conversation. So we did a session at one of the law firms down the road here with their candidate attorneys. So they've been in the space for 18, 24 months, right? Grads yeah. in the space. 23 years old, around there. Young white guy midway session says, I'm terrified. I'm the wrong race, I'm the wrong gender, I'm a white male in this law firm and I'm never gonna be a partner in this law firm and I'm, I'm freaking out, he says, right? Sitting next to him is a young black woman and if looks could kill, this white guy would have been dead, right, right there. She's anyway, she says, excuse me, you're a young white man in this law firm when all of the partners look like you. You're good. You get mentored, you get sponsored, you get the good work, you're going straight to the top. It's me, the young black woman. I'm never going to be a partner. No one looks like me, no one's mentoring me, no one's sponsoring me. And he turned to her and said, are you crazy? You're a young black woman in corporate South Africa. It's easy for you. You're going straight to the top. All the policies are designed for you. And she said, are you nuts? You play squash with the managing partner on Wednesday. And they got to go, go, go. And we kind of let them do what lawyers do. We sat back. They let them tire themselves out. <laughs> and then we kind of said, all right, well, clearly what is happening here is the expression of the exact same emotion, fear and anger. Coming from different spaces, sure, but it's trying to find legitimacy. And what we need to kind of land with you today is that the fear and anger that exists within South Africa at the moment is coming into your organization. And it's affecting how we create relationships, how we manage, how we mentor, who we manage, who we mentor, who we trust, who we give work to, who we don't, right? This is it. So anyone from Discovery here? Great. So we love to use Discovery as just the most obvious example. You can build the biggest building in Southern Africa with every panel reflecting the outside world, but you cannot reflect the emotions that are the context of our space from entering your organization. If you take nothing from today, it's that all the emotions that is the South African story are coming into how we are managing, recruiting, developing, training. It's coming in. So how do we just pause and say, okay, it's coming in. Now what are we going to do about it? Wonderful. Should we do this? You guys feel a little bit nervous, which is fine. I can sense a little bit of trepidation, maybe a little bit of excitement. So let's kind of jump straight in. Awesome. Cool. So I'll also do that. Just want to show you a quick video of the kind of work that we do. We're buffering. Wonderful. Slut Tiger Networks. We'll get there.
defines the property as treating different for different. In order to enable to access the same object. Because it recognizes that we're not all starting with the same. are thinking about this work that we do and I think why we're here today this is the reason I think this change this idea of the changing world is what is fueling a lot of these conferences particularly over the last 24 to 36 months every conference that Dom and I've been asked to attend or been invited to has been premised on the fact that our world is changing and now we need to XYZ in order to ABC this changing world right so we were invited to a conference last year called Raising Boys and Girls with the Skill Set for a Changing World. Parents, teachers, school executives, some business leaders, right? And they're like freaking out. They're like, the world is changing. We need to be ready. They say, Roy, please come speak at this conference. We're like, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. They said, also, we'd love you to open the conference. Oh, fantastic. What an amazing opportunity. We come and we say, guys, this is the changing world, right? They're like, yes, this is it. This is the terrifying changing world. This is what captures it so much. Look at them. They're disconnected. This is so scary. Millennials, Gen Z. And we said, well, then how do we explain this? Right? And then we said, okay, maybe this is the changing world, right? Betty out of the kitchen, into the workforce, in a cute pantsuit, right? Doing her things. And we said, okay, but this is the changing world, right? Then how do we explain this? Last year, gifts to Wow Mom, Happy Mother's Day 2018. <laughs> great price, though. Great, great price. And I think, I think at this point, the conference organizers were like, oh, I don't know if this was a good idea. <laughs> but really what we said to them, and we challenged everyone there, and we're going to challenge you the same here today, and it's going to say, if our world is changing so much, and we're buying into the narrative of change, we need to be very, very clear about what is changing, right? Because for us, the world is not changing that much. All it is is becoming more sophisticated at representing change at positioning the narrative, the veneer of change. But behind it, we're not really seeing this huge fundamental changes, right? That these movements of change, marriage equality in the States, is really not this incredible or devastating movement of change. That this idea of hashtag me too is not this incredible or devastating movement of change, depending which side of the platform you stand. That Pretoria Girls is not this incredible or devastating movement of change. That all these are, right? are movements to get those people historically excluded, those people on the periphery, to point zero, 
the starting point that other people have been at for centuries. That marriage equality is not this incredible movement of change. It's just really to get LGBT people 2.0, the starting point that straight people have been at for centuries, and that is marry somebody that you love. That hashtag me too is not this incredible movement of change. It's just really to get women to point zero, the starting point that men have been at, and that is call out the perpetrator and something actually happens. That Pretoria Girls is not this incredible movement of change. It's just really to get young black women in our schools to point zero, the starting point that our white girls have been at, and that is not to have their identity policed, not their style, their identity policed through policy. This is the starting point. But if we think that this is this overarching, the sweeping change, two things happen. Either we pull back and say, oh, thank goodness Ms. Patel is doing the protesting. I don't have to. I support you, girl. Go for it. And I like her comment. Right? Or I say, that is terrifying. I need to surround myself by safety because I don't like this thing that's changing and I'm scared. Both of them are reactive. Both of them are disconnected. When really, if we can say, is our world really changing? We can start owning the narrative of change. So what we said to the conference, we said, forget about raising boys with the skill set for a changing world. We said, let's raise boys and girls with the skill set to change the world. And we want to challenge you guys here today. Because like I said, our organizations are not the issue. Black faces, brown faces, gay faces, fantastic. But that's the starting point. That's the obvious thing. That's point zero. That's how it should always have been. Now what we have to do is how do we imagine an organization beyond zero? What is a school like beyond zero where Ms. Patel doesn't have to be protesting about a hair policy? She can actually be focusing on her maths final because we need her to have the best maths marks so she can be the best and not this is a distraction for her. And if we think about this idea of distraction, how much of our behaviors and our organizational culture is a distraction to talent being great? I can't focus on delivery because I'm worried about the fact that I've got an engagement and I'm a young woman, they're going to think I'm going to get pregnant in two years. We'd laugh. But these things are fine. <laughs> but it's real. So we go to one of the big four banks and the young woman comes through. Uh, she gets engaged, communicates this to her team and the team is congratulating her. Okay? Awesome experience. Eventually comes to her boss, boss gives her a big hug. Like, congratulations. No, but such a pity. You had a bright, bright future in this organization. But for him, he smiles and he walks off. <laughs> <laughs> these things, ladies and gents, are happening right now in 2019. Mm. We're not sharing these things to be cheeky. No, this is a reality that people are experiencing. All right? Okay, okay? All right, all right. Fantastic. We want you to keep engaging. Do these things deliberately. When you see this image, what thoughts come up for you? What thoughts, what feelings? Just shout them out. It's what a Google image search of diversity. It's like... Yeah. Uh-huh. What feeling... What what feeling does it invoke for you? Hmm. Force, not real. Yeah. Okay. Cliche. Cliche, yes. What else? Rainbow Nation. Yeah. Mm. So, who said that? Huh. Wonderful. But you ex expand further. For you, Rainbow Nation. Were you going to sit? Okay, yeah. Okay. Got you? Yes. Mm. Uh -huh. Mm. Got you. Yes. No, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Because when she said Rainbow Nation, I was like just observing a particular facial expression. This facial expression I can only describe in this way. In the black community, if we're having a party or an event, and there will always be a moment where there's a circle. 
if you're going to enter that circle, you better be sure of your story. <laughs> uh, that it's about to go down. But for us to know that it's about to go down, it can't just be moves. There's an expression. That as soon as a person makes that expression, you're like, ooh, it's about to go down. <laughs> so she had that expression, Rainbow Nation. <laughs> That's what I was asking. Yeah, what other feelings come up for you? Someone once said very astutely, why do only white people have electronics? And uh, <laughs> I thought that was a fair point. thought it was a fair point. Right. Right, right, yeah. right. So it's not bland. Yeah. Beautiful to look at, yeah? yeah. And we'll like even go to that Rainbow Nation, uh, We Are The World, you know? Holding it up. But that's typically what we speak about when we speak diversity. Mm -hmm. But I think you can tell just from the comments that we've had within the room, and it's also our reaction as an organization, that whenever we're engaging with diversity, actually, this is the reaction that we have. Yeah? That's right. Right? Because ladies and gents, diversity is not easy. Okay? When we're not honest with ourselves to then say this requires actually some work in order to not just have diversity but to meaningfully ensure that diversity can impact the spaces in which we work, it will require some deliberate and very hard work. But when we acknowledge that, we're then better positioned in putting in the effort that's required as we go forward. Whenever we speak about this topic, there'll be certain organizations that will ask us, but are there really benefits to diversity, okay? And uh, let me put it as follows. If you're still needing to be convinced why there's a business case to diversity, that bus has left. It's long gone. You can Google right now. You can find the McKenzie studies. You can find case studies up until the 1980s. You can look at organizations and different stock exchanges. You can do that information yourself. That bus is long gone. Now we're looking at how do we meaningfully ensure that we get this thing working right because the proof has been there and the facts have been there that diversity works. But the reason why we don't punt factual information, the reason why we don't punt statistics is because we understand very intimately that information and facts do not change human behavior. They actually don't. Okay? To qualify this, it was made real for me when I engaged with a young man in Durban. We ran a session. After the session, he then came to me. And said, so Dominic, there's been something that I've been struggling with, and I wonder if you can help me reconcile this. All right? I'm a 23-year-old young male. I've grown up in the South African education system. From the age of nine, we've been taught about HIV and AIDS. Right? So from the age of nine, I've received all the information. I know how it is contracted. I know how it is managed. I know how it is prevented. A couple of months ago, a colleague of mine came out as HIV positive. And for some reason or another, whenever he makes me a cup of tea or coffee, I cannot physically bring myself to drink it. Okay? But we think that it will throw statistics and information and educate people that diversity works, and all of a sudden they'll be like, okay, grand, let's do this diversity thing. Information and education does not change human beings. We need to provide those moments where we can enable you to truly reflect on what's actually this disconnect mm. between driving towards what the facts are telling me is a positive thing for my organization versus actually that moment like, yeah, I can understand it, but it, it's, a, it's a hard bridge to cross. And until we understand what that discomfort is, we are not going to get inclusion right. right? But from the sake of being thorough, I'll just share three points with you. Business case for diversity, a relationship between diversity and outperformance in businesses exists. Fact. Diversity in leadership role matters. Fact. There's a penalty for opting out if you do not have a diverse team. Fact. Many brands that can attest to that locally and internationally 
where some decisions have been made and marketing campaigns have gone out into the world and all of a sudden there's a backlash. And people are like, why is that backlash? You didn't have the right people around the table to tell you this is not cool. <laughs> in order to get things done. And so these things really matter if we're truly wanting to be that organization of the future. But I think why, and uh, the session that we had just before this one was actually quite a tough session. Um, there was a lot of resistance, not resistance, just like anxiety. Like we can feel the, the space, right? And there was just a lot of anxiety. And we, and we used this slide and we want to present to you why even with all of the facts, we're still struggling to have these conversations and unlocking diversity and inclusion. So Dom and I have kind of put together these three challenges to having these conversations in organizations, right? The first one is this. You guys are going to help me out here. This body that I'm in here today, what does it represent on the streets of South Africa? What are some of the labels I'm going to get? Shout it out. We have thick skin, so it's okay. You can go for it. Privilege. What does that mean? And tell me more things about me. I'm white, eh? Male. What does these things mean? I have it easy. I have access to what? Trust fund, what else? <laughs> I'm just waiting for them to be like, land. <laughs> what else? Land. <laughs> what else? I can travel. What school did I go to? Private school. Where do I live? Santon. What, do I drive a car? Who bought my car? How many degrees do I have? What university did I go to? Right, you know me. Okay, so here's the thing. Now, here's the thing, right? Whether that is me or not is irrelevant because that's all you're going to see of me, right? Whether that is me or not is irrelevant. That's all you're going to see. Now, in contrast, what does this body represent on the streets in South Africa? My colleague Dominic. Hey? Black tax. Uh -huh. What else? Pardon? Hide your purse, so unsafe. What else? What else? Come, let's play. BE tender, tenderpreneur, got it. What gives you that impression? Ah! Dom and I always have to do a check-in after the session. How are you feeling? I'm feeling a little <laughs> bit. Uh, we put ourselves on the line. This is an extreme sport, this, I promise you. What else? What else? Pardon? Polygamy, wow. Yeah. No, it's fine. We'll, we'll like, we'll deprove that up. No, we will. <laughs> Share with the brother. Token. Right. Good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well spoken. Ah, not seen like these guys. This is the, but this is it. Now, here's the beauty about this. Thank you for this. The idea of coconut, tenderpreneur, all of these things. Whenever we do this comparison, right? No one ever, when we're talking about what my body represents, talks about what I wear or how I speak. The qualifier of how it is we're going to position Dominic is when people say, is it when he's wearing this or wearing tracksuits? Is it when he's speaking or when he's not speaking? Because for black South Africans, particularly black men, know that their skin color does not represent trust. That you have to use external markers that say, you can trust me, look what I'm wearing, I'm educated, look how I speak, you can trust me, I'm safe. As a white South African, I never have to do that. Because my skin color says, you can trust me, I'm safe, I'm educated, you're good with me. I can wear the most ridiculous stuff, and Dom and I play with this all the time. Going into meetings that we shouldn't be, or I shouldn't be, wearing what I am. But it's fine, because they're like, okay, a little bit weird outfit, but I trust that he knows what he's going to do. <laughs> he's eccentric, you know? 
He's eccentric. But the reality, the reality is that we're dominated to come into organizations as employees. Similar aspects are going to follow us, right? Yep. And here's the thing. That fundamental difference in how people will engage with us, how people see us, how we navigate the world, is going to change our experience within an organization. But here's the thing about my role, and we did a session another, at another law firm, and the senior partner, white Afrikaans guy, lovely man, got really emotional because he's like, you know, here I am trying to drive transformation. I believe it's important, but Evan just sees me as a white Afrikaans guy, probably a racist, and I just want to give up, he said. And we said, oh, I'm sorry, my angel. It's hard to be you. In this, it is. But what we said to him is that you're always going to be seen as that first. Yeah. And we can't change that in our lifetime. But what we can start changing is how you react to that. That if you want to be seen, you have to lean in further and create that vulnerability. Because it's pulling away, saying, well, if you're not going to see me for me, then I'm just not going to... Yeah. It's just not going to work, guys, because we don't live in that space. What we need to be doing is, oh, you're going to see me as this, which may or may not be me, but there's more to this. I need to lean into this relationship. How do we ask better questions of ourselves? So this whole idea of the discomfort of my role is what distances us from having this conversation because we're like, oh, I don't want to own those things. And we're saying you have to own it whether you like it or not because that's, how, that's the starting point. Absolutely. The next one, which I'm pretty certain that, that most, if not all of you, will engage with and connect with, is this narrative that's going on, especially in corporate South Africa, of what we call voicelessness. Mm. Big challenge. Right. Voicelessness, especially where this topic is concerned. Mm. So you can go to the actuaries thing and discuss the numbers and discuss the strategy, and people are going to be loud. And then you'll say diversity, inclusion, transformation, privilege. Wow. All of a sudden. All right. White South Africans. Why do white South Africans feel voiceless, especially where this discussion is concerned? Regarding privilege, transformation, inclusion, diversity in the workspace. Why do white South Africans feel completely voiceless mm. in this particular discussion? Yes, sir. Not your place to debate some of these things? Why? Yes. Uh, no, yes. It's <laughs> white guy. As, as soon as you had your first words, we were already out. So. It's clear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm, so, yeah. So, so, so it's not necessarily pull the racist card. I think it's more accurate to say to call you a racist. So this thing be pulling a racist card is saying you're a racist. This is, this is, this is the anxiety for white people. Ooh, yeah. It's got tense all of a sudden in this room. <laughs> Guys, we're going to be fine. <laughs> you have another 25 minutes and then you're going to be free. You're good. <laughs> We're going to be okay. Promise. Yeah. I think, it's you know... Mm. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry. Sure. Yes. And then, then, let, then let's zoom into this in particular. And I think, to, for the sake of expediency, let's understand that the anxiety around speaking up, the real root of it is about survival is that for white people, when it comes to conversations about transformation, inclusion, diversity, privilege, all of these things, yes, there's a sense of I don't fully understand, so I'm not going to engage, or oh, I feel so guilty anyway, given what I have. But mostly it's saying, if I say anything wrong, or if I ask a question, you're not going to hear Roy asking a question, you're going to hear this white guy who's in the trust fund asking a question. If I'm a little bit combative, oh, now, and then I'm going to be seen as a racist. And if I'm seen as a racist, that's my career over, that's my family, and we run all the numbers. So we know it, we're like, we'll show up, but I'm not going to speak. 
Yeah, the risks are way too high. Absolutely. Not going to do it. Absolutely. Not. Conversely, black South Africans, especially in corporate South Africa, also feel completely voiceless. In this room. In engaging with uh, you know, transformation, inclusion, diversity within the workspace. Why? Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, expand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Uh -huh. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. Why else? Yes, sir. Yes. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm. Yes. Sure. Yes. Yep. Yes. Mm. Yes. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So there was like cis thing and straight things hoid out there. All of a sudden in the room, hold on, hold on. There's like a line in the room between the woke and the woke-ish. Okay? The woke are like, yes, brother, yes. The woke-ish cis. So there was a young lady in a session that we ran, and she was then explaining her story. And she was like, I'm cisgendered pansexual. And then she carried on. To which the adults were like, eh? She didn't bother explaining. She was gone. <laughs> but anyway, I hear the point. All right? But let me ask the question again, and we'll come back. Why do black South Africans, you have the one thing, the angry black woman, which can be career limiting. What other aspects drive and fuel the voicelessness? Let's come here and then we'll come back to that side, sir. Let's start with you, ma'am, and then we'll come here to the front. Fatigue. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Mm. I speak, but nothing ever changes. You're not even heard. Yes. Wow. No one's listening, yeah. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Thank you for that. Yes, ma'am. Mm. Loaded. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, so we're all having a nice family lunch. And here you are being a little Julius. What's about intrusion? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Here you are being the angry black woman. We're, we're all just trying to have a nice lunch and not discuss these things. Right? But the point is made. Black South Africans, as well, especially in corporate South Africa, understand that whenever they're speaking around issues of transformation, inclusion, and you know, meaningful diversity within the workspace, for them it's also career limiting. Mm. Right? And therefore there is that sense of voicelessness, especially in corporate SA. Outside of corporate, they were loud. Yeah, comrades. Uh, but where there's now a salary on the line, career, uh, this is voicelessness. Right? Colored and Indian South Africans. 
also feel completely voiceless. Why? Hmm. This is your time. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yes, ma'am. This is your time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sense Great. of being a mino minority within that space. Yeah. Yes. A, let's go there once. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Listen. Mm. Ah. Mm. Yeah. It's a mess, my guy. Yeah. It's an absolute mess. Right? At some point you're like, yeah, not white enough. Then you like transition. Yeah, but not black enough. <laughs> <laughs> no. And it's sort of like there, and so, you know, colored and white South Africans sometimes are just like, you know what, let these whiteies and darkies slug, slug it out, uh, have their zebra conversation, and uh, we'll figure out where the chips may fall. Mm -hmm. But because of that, and really not being seen and feeling, uh, being, uh, feeling that you're forgotten within that space also, conscious that sense of voicelessness. When was our voice ever yeah. of value anyway? Yeah. And now you're calling on us to try to contribute to this discussion? Actually, you guys can car carry on and have it. Mm -hmm. But the point is as follows. We need to all appreciate that we're all experiencing voicelessness where this is concerned within our spaces. Right? For different reasons and from different perspectives, but we're all experiencing that sense of voicelessness. Yeah. And so the actions that we need to take within our spaces, how do we now begin to create those platforms very deliberately to then say we need to bring in these voices in order to enable us to move to the point that we're saying we're trying to strive for. Yeah. Because this third aspect, right, and it follows on from, from your point, which is 100% correct, how you see me is going to entirely affect how you hear me, right? You're not going to be listening to Roy asking a question, you're going to hear a white guy with a trust fund asking the question, right? And the risks are too high. I can't manage the variables. So my reaction is what we call the new protest. And here's the thing, it's not only white reaction, it's all of our reactions. And this new protest is this, much like I've already mentioned in the intro, I need to surround myself by people who share a similar ideology in me and a similar voice and a, system, a similar belief set. Because I have to talk, right? And we are talking, make no mistake. We are. But in our spaces where they're safe, because we're so frightened about the repercussions externally. Yeah. Now here's the thing, and this is the thing we need to understand, is that this new protest is one of the fundamental reasons that we are having this conversation today. If in our organizations, social cohesion, team cohesion, team effectiveness, high performance is important, information sharing, skills development and transfer, training, mentorship, then these three things are the fundamental frustrators to that. So we can build every mentorship program we want, but if we're not going to deal with the anxiety of a white male senior saying, I'm terrified to give a young black junior feedback because if I do, am I going to be seen as a racist? So I'm not going to do that. I'm actually not going to mentor him because I'm too scared. So we can design the best mentorship program in the world. But if I'm not going to talk about this new protest, my, my feelings, we're buggered. Yeah. And let's just also say something very clear, right? Because we are seeing it. Is that when we are not going to join this relationship and create this mentorship relationship, we are going to lose. Because there's so much institutional knowledge that the seniors have, that that cappuccino, the cream has, that we now need to say, how do we start sharing this, guys? So this conversation is not the nice to have what are our numbers. This is about everything that your organization, that you are trying to do, right? This for us is the unlock. Yes. All right. We'd like to run a quick exercise with you. Okay, so you'll need your cell phones for this one or a tablet, any device that can, a smart device that can connect them to the internet. 
When you've got it on your phone, please go to menti.com. M-E-N-T-I.com. Menti.com. Once you're on there, please enter the code 990484. And then just stop at that point and look back at us. So menti.com. Enter the code double nine zero four eight four. Once you're there, just please put your phone down and look back at us to receive the next instructions. So it's M-E-N-T-I dot com and the code is nine nine zero four eight four. And just look up at us so we know that you're ready. Fabulous. Yeah. Yes, sir. Sorry? Nine nine zero four eight four. It's here on the Nine nine zero four eight four. Okay. All right. So we'd love for you to be just honest, actually. Mm. It's not controversial. Just be honest. Okay. But please listen carefully before you begin uh, to do the exercise. We'd like for you to reflect on the organization that you work for, the organization that you found. Right? Just hold that organization in your mind's eye. We want you to imagine that if you were to take this organization that you work for and put that organization into human form, what would this person look like? Okay? If you were to take the organization and put it into one person, what would this person look like? Now, we want you to reflect not on what does our leadership team look like or what do the demographics of our organization look like, no, but what does the space feel like? Whenever I'm coming into the space, whenever I'm working, whenever I need to put together emails in a project, whenever I'm getting paid, who am I thanking at the end of the month? What does the space feel like? We want you to reflect not on who you want your organization to be, no, but who's your organization now. We want you to reflect on not other liar, what are the lies that you tell on your website to the world that you are, ah, ah. who are you <laughs> no, behind the website? Okay, so if you were to put your organization into human form, what would your organization look like? So what race would this person be? You don't have to answer yet, we'll look right. What gender would they be? What sexual orientation would they be? Would they be physically able-bodied or disabled? What religion do they, would they feel like they practice or are culturally raised in? What language does this person speak? What income bracket do they belong in? If we were to put that organization to human form, what would that organization look like? So you'll now go back to your cell phones, and then we're going to do you our submissions. And if you're not on race or ethnicity, just say go to slide. There should be a little thing that you push, go to slide. Don't overthink it, it's quite intuitive. We're not leading you down a dangerous path. We promise you, you're going to be safe. Were your organization to be a person, what would their race be? Cool. Yeah. Were your organization to be a person, what would their gender be? Let's see. Right. Good. Were your organization to be a person, what would their sexual orientation be? Lesbian, straight, gay, bisexual, transgender, asexual. 
Good. Were your organization to be a person, what would their physical ability or disability, would they be physically able-bodied or disabled? Good. Next, were your organization to be a person, what language would they speak? What language would they speak? Good. Were your organization to be a person, what religion would they practice? What religion would they practice? I think Discovery weighed in on the Jewish, uh, on the Jewish one there. I am Jewish myself. I get the right to say that in a way that. Good. Finally, what income bracket would your organization fall within? Hmm. Good, thank you. You guys can look up. We don't really have time to have a quick chat, so I'm going to launch straight into unpacking why this is important and, and what we can take out of this, right? Let's also just acknowledge that you guys are all from different organizations, and we have essentially personified the exact same person, right? And we need to understand what this is. There's two important things that we need to land. But firstly, all of our research, and by research, I mean we do this every single day in schools all the way up to the biggest corporates, even in other jurisdictions, and literally every single time we do this, people personify their organizations as a white male who's straight, able-bodied, Christian-ish, so kind of went to church, doesn't go to church anymore type of situation, English or Afrikaans speaker, upper income bracket, right? Let's unpack this. Are you ready? We're going to use this as the aggregation of all of your results. Listen carefully to me. This is the important part. First thing that we need to say is this. This person here, this guy, is not a bad person. Is not a bad person. Now it sounds condescending to say it so slowly, but I have to. and I'm going to say it again. This person is not a bad person. When we're thinking about this conversation around inclusion transformation, it is this very person, right, often senior leadership, who when we run this exercise, they get very panicky and they say, who it is that we are, who it is we want to be. That's why we have to kind of put up front as an instruction. Because even for senior leadership who are this, right, have internalized their own badness. That whiteness is bad, that masculinity is bad, that straightness is bad. And we say, that's rubbish. And we need to be pushing against those narratives that exist externally. This person is not bad. This person is not evil. This person is not the reason for all of the drama in the world. This person is not Donald Trump, right? But <laughs> this person must not fall, right? Whatever you want to call it. But this person has a responsibility within the space, right? So again, how do we start shifting the narrative from badness, which is reactive, 
to saying, I'm not a bad person, but I have a responsibility, right? What does that look like? So this has to be the conversation, this is not a bad person, but there's a responsibility, right? And this is a resilience that we need to be building, right? First point. Second point is this. If this is the owner of the house, or rather if this is the person we personified, we need you to see your offices as this person's house. Because Dom and I, when we're working with organizations, we literally see organizations as homes. You spend more time there than you do at your own home. It's a series of relationships, roles, responsibilities, hierarchies, outputs, all of it. It is a home, right? And we need you to see this person as the owner of your home, your office. Now, for me, Roy, in this body, this is literally my home. I grew up here in Morningside. You were right. Santon was literally here. <laughs> this is my home. So I will come into your organization and you'll say, and this person will say, Roy, make yourself at home. And you know what? I know exactly what that means. I know the rules of the space. I know the rules so well and so nuanced that I know how to break them just enough to be seen as an innovator rather than a troublemaker. I know the space so well that I can communicate, navigate, negotiate, build relationships. I know everything about this. When I come into your office in the morning, the movement from my home to your home is as seamless as entering the door. There is nothing I have to put aside. This is my home. Dominic did not grow up in a home like this. So Dominic's going to come into your organization as talent on the same space as me, and Mr. XYZ will say, Dom, make yourself at home. And Dom will say, thank you, I believe you mean that because you're not a bad person, but please understand something. This is not my home. I don't understand the rules necessarily. I don't know how to navigate. I don't know how to communicate. I don't know how to build relationships necessarily. I don't know the rules, right? And you know how he's going to learn the rules? Trial and error. And sometimes that error is going to be, this guy is not actually good for our space. He's not a good culture fit right? Dom is going to have to be learning the rules and delivering at the same time. Me, I'm just delivering. That inequality of experience fundamentally changes our experience within the space, our internal experience of the space, right? Dom, when he comes into this house, is going to have to put some things away. I hope my accent is properly, I need to get that nice English twang. I hope that my suit is XYZ, all of these things, right? I don't have to do that, and let's be honest, that takes emotional effort, it takes emotional energy away from his processing unit. Think about all the tabs in a Google Chrome, nice accent, da 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 da. I don't have that. Not because we're saying that we're designing it specifically to exclude Dom necessarily, but we need to know that this is the starting point. Because we'd go around this room, are you guys ready? We'd go around this room and we'd say, what is inclusion? And every single person here is going to have their own understanding, to be heard, to be valued, to be seen, to, be, to belong, to be acknowledged. And all of these things are correct, but it's because all of these things are correct that actually makes us a very tough conversation. So we're giving you a gift. All inclusion is, is comfort. Is comfort. How comfortable are you as you, not a version of you, to show up in this house every single day. And you, and you, and you, and you. And what we know for a fact is that the closer your identity is to the personification of the house, automatically the more comfortable you're going to be. What we know for a fact is that the further your identity is from the personification of the house, the less comfortable you're automatically going to be. And then again, we ask the voicelessness question, and is this a problem? And if it is, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. It's not a value judgment. It's not saying we must break down that house and make a black gay woman and now we've transformed. 
that's not going to change anything. Representation is critically important. I'm not saying it isn't. But the feeling is not going to change. This idea and this understanding of inclusion being comfort is the most real experience of how people experience organizations. Many times when we're kind of having a more intimate session, people say, I don't get this comfort thing, right? And it's because we say you're so comfortable that you don't get this comfort thing. Who have you thought about what shoes you were going to wear today, this morning? By a show of hands, what shoes you were going to put on, right? So I'm going to go with my outfit, and whatever the case may be. Who of you have since thought about your shoes since putting them on? Why? Because they're uncomfortable. <laughs> because we only know we are wearing shoes when they are uncomfortable. Yeah. You can only connect, or rather viscerally connect, to this idea of comfort in organization if you are uncomfortable where every step in the space feels labored. Now, I need to say something very important. If you are comfortable and you don't understand this comfort thing because you match that, what a blessing. We're not here to shame you and say shame for you being comfort. You should be ashamed of your comfort. We say, no, how great to be comfortable. Now, how are we going to create more comfort for more people? It's not reactive. Yes. It's not pulling away in shame. It's saying, actually, I'm empowered. I feel comfortable. How, do I, how can I make, how can we do this? How do we build this relationship? This is what we need to be doing. All inclusion is, is comfort. And it's not about external comforts and bean bags and meal vouchers. Internal comfort. Yes. How do I feel coming into this internally? Right? Yes. And the reason why we connect with this idea of comfort for inclusion is that more, the more comfortable a person is within a space, the greater the breath to explore and to excel within yeah. that space. The more comfortable you are within a space, the, uh, the safer you feel to speak up. The more comfortable a person is, the more engaged they are. Mm. The more comfortable a person is, the greater they courage to try something and to fail. If as an organization you're saying that one of your key tenants in ensuring that you are sustainable and are successful in the future as a business is innovation and yet you don't have anyone feeling comfortable to try anything because to fail is a career limiting move, you're kidding yourself. Mm. There's no innovation that will happen. People will just say, tell me what you want the way you want it and I'll do it like that. I'm not going to be trying anything and try to be innovative when I can be, can be a CLM. Can but I just, um, can I just yes. quickly jump in there? Think of being in a strange house during lunch and there's a lot of people at this lunch. What is the last thing a stranger wants to do in a house where ev when everyone's there and everyone seems like they're having a good time is to drop a plate? And then everyone turns and looks at you and be like, you, you just want to shrink, right? So now take that experience of not wanting to drop a plate and draw attention to yourself, right? as an experience of an employee within an organization yeah. in terms of innovation. I don't want to drop this plate. I don't want to try something. I don't want to draw attention to myself because I'm a guest in the space. These are, this is not the talent we want to develop Absolutely. at all. Absolutely. The more comfortable people are, the greater the willingness to ask for help and to ask for more. Mm. And the more comfortable people are within your organization, the better they learn. Now, if you think back or if you're aware regarding any of your leadership strategies, talent development strategies, yeah. or even organizational culture, you're measuring all of these things regarding the organization that you're wanting to create. But somehow, we think that the discussion regarding inclusion and meaningfully engaging diversity is something that we need to like, leave over for the last 10 minutes of our meeting. Yeah. Sometimes I feel so sorry for the HR people because we've had so, such you know, important things to discuss in business. Yes, you were supposed to have a one hour slot, but we had important things to discuss in our 10 minutes. Let's go, okay? And yet we say that our talent is our greatest assets. Let's be honest with ourselves. Mm. 
let's be honest with ourselves. Mm. All right. So we've now run out of time. So we'll just take a few questions, <laughs> right? Um, a few questions, comments, or feelings that we can take from the floor, and then we'll still be here for anyone that wants to engage us a little bit more. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. Mm. Sure. Yes. You're a white man. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Hundred percent. Because hundred percent. But you must realize that with each and every single country, they have a particular historical context that they're trying to work. They're trying to work to to redress. If you go to Uganda, there are certain policies in Uganda that are specific to Uganda, given the history of men and women going to universities and coming into corporate spaces. You go to Swaziland, same story. In the South African context, it happens to be race. In Nigeria, it could be things around tribes. In every single country, they've got a historical context that is now informing what are the labor policies regarding the redress that they want to see within their societies. But if you think of inclusion, inclusion is not an end point. Mm -mm. So there won't be like a stake in the ground where like, ah, we've now arrived, we're now inclusive. But rather, inclusion is a skill set. Because when we've got the skill sets of inclusion, it doesn't matter whether we're dealing with foreign national, it doesn't matter whether we're dealing with tribes, it doesn't matter whether we're dealing with religion, or in Cote d'Ivoire, Cameroon, or Syria, we will have the skill sets of inclusion of how do we continue to become that within our space. But our legislation is a very blunt tool to drive change, hey? And that's the thing. It's absolutely necessary because the reason we have BE legislation is not because we thought it was important. The reason we have BE legislation is because we gave Business South Africa in the late 90s the opportunity to organically transform and it never happened. So the legislation had to come in and be like, okay, now we have to enforce this. Is it the best tool? Who knows? Is it working? I don't know. Does implementation kind of lack? Absolutely. But that's going to be here, right? What we want to say is inclusion is the feeling within the space. What we believe is that when we're doing inclusion in a proper sense, we're going to hit our numbers automatically. Anyway. We're going to be doing all the things at the legislation. So there's this big gap in terms of the intention and the spirit of the legislation and our behaviors and our attitudes toward it. And it's an emotional gap that we need to be yeah. filling. Mm -hmm. So it's going, to, it's going to be quite a journey. Okay, let, me put it, let me put it this way, and sorry to cut you off. So, for example, one person that is admired in South Africa broadly is Trevor Noah. Part of the reason why Trevor Noah is admired is just his ability to switch between languages and understand different cultures. Trevor Noah cracks a joke there at the Oscars, you know, black South Africans who understand the course are laughing. And then my next thought was a tragedy. Probably 97% of white South Africans are just as clueless as the Americans. Okay? Yeah, but it's a journey. The bottom line is this, so long as you've got human beings that are willing to learn, we will get to a space where we'll be able to find each other, but we mustn't kid ourselves and think that it's going to happen overnight. Okay? The OECD did a study of the most unequal countries in the world, and I think they had a list of like the top 50. Mm -hmm. Out of that top 50, South Africa was ranked number two. Number two meaning that it's, this, it's the number two of the countries that are going to take the longest in redressing the inequalities of the average uh, disadvantaged, previously disadvantaged, previously advantaged kid. And they estimated that it would take us eight generations for the average black kid to catch up to the average white kid. Okay? The thing for me is this, ladies and gents, we do not have eight generations to get this right. Okay? We've got gross wealth that exists here in Santon and literally across the highway, literally, 
we've got more than 90% of those people living off an income of 4,500 or less per month. For many of you, that's just your bill for petrol for the month. And those are families that need to live on that. And so the responsibility that we hold is around, we, we need to stop playing around with this where our organizations are concerned. To then say, what is going to be our part in order to put in the redress, in order to push forward this project, South Africa? Because here's the thing, if we do not get this thing right, I want you to realize this. If you're not part of the 0.1% of South Africans that have access to a helipad and a private jet, if Alexandra Soweto and Tumbisa put tires along the N1 and the M1 walls route, when they got together, white, black, Indian color, we're not going anywhere. Okay? But if we can get to that point to then say we actually have an opportunity right now since as South Africans we're still willing, willing to come to the table and actually discuss on how we get this thing right, right now is still the ample opportunity. If we don't get it right now, there will be a time where there's going to be winners and losers and executive decisions that get made. But the work that we do is really to engage with everyday South Africans and even those that think that they don't have much impact within the space to say as a manager you do have a role, as a leader you do have a role, and with each of our efforts we can really get South Africa right. Okay? So ladies and gents, we can't <laughs> take any more questions, unfortunately, but thank you very much for joining us. Before you well, go, before you go, before <laughs> right. you go, whoa, 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 yeah. we, need to, we need to just do some work here. Hold on a second. Yeah. We're going to take a big inhale, and then we're going to exhale together, right? Inhale on three, one, two, three. And exhale. Here's the thing, right? What we need to be building, so what, what Dom has said is the reality, right, that there is a sense of urgency. I think the experience of kind of saying, how do you not know this? You must go educate is one aspect of it, but there's another entire understanding that we need to be. This is broad and complex, and I don't want us to walk away feeling that this is, not so, that this is an easy solve, that white people must go do the work and then we're going to be great. It's all of us. This has to be a negotiated effort. has to be, right? But the thing is, how do we come together and sit through the discomfort and say, we're going to be okay? We need it as South Africans start building the resilience to have tough conversations. Yeah. And we don't have it yet. And we need to start building it, right? So this is a moment for us to come in and dip our toe into that discomfort. And now we get to walk away on our lives, right? And go on with it. But to reiterate Dom's point, we have to be having these conversations if for no other reason, right? Outside of the bottom line implications in your organization, is that we have to create a social cohesion within this country that currently doesn't exist. And we're all part of the problem and we all have to be part of that solution because do not expect any government to change the social cohesion within, the within this country. It's not in their best interest. We're going to have to do it. And it is understanding, conversation, social education, Googling, more engagement, listening, all of these things. Ladies and gents, thank you very much for your time. <laughs>